Good evening. All right. Praise the Lord. Before we get uh, started, well, we, actually, we are started. But uh, I just, uh, Tony mentioned it, and he actually prayed over those things. But if during the worship time, I thought there, there's just somebody here, or there might be a few people here that just have some burdens on their their hearts, that we could uh, just lay hands on you and pray for you right now. Uh, Lord was impressing somebody here that's... Uh, Possibly going through some, uh, um, just some real difficult time with your family. Maybe a son or daughter or somebody's away from God and you're just really struggling right now with that. And, uh, if, uh, and then there's others that I thought maybe the Lord was just impressing that needs jobs. Uh, somebody in here might be looking for a job right now. And if, uh, if you're that person, why don't you stand up so we can just kind of get around you and pray for you. And there, there you go. And just lay hands on you. Brothers, sisters, come on around. And those people, get up out of your seats and, and uh, come on and let's uh, lay hands on our brothers and sisters and pray for their needs. And just uh, just ask God to really minister to people right now and as we get started. And so let's just let's lift them up to the Lord. Let's just start praying. If you need a job, tell somebody, and, and uh, if you know of a job, tell them, uh, tell them you, hey, I know where you can get a job. So let's pray first. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, uh, you're going to speak to all of us tonight. But we also realize that uh, you also speak to us individually. And tonight you just wanted to speak to people and use us to minister our, the love of Jesus and, the, and just exercise that faith and prayer to, to uh, see needs met. So, Lord, whatever the needs are, whether it be a job or family problems, if it's uh, financial difficulties or whatever it might be, Lord, we ask that you would just minister. We thank you that you are our assurance, our salvation, and our um, our hope. But Lord, we ask that these needs would be met. Break, break, Lord, through. Open doors for jobs, employment. I pray, Father, that you would... Keep the body of Christ here at Pasadena employed. Bless their businesses that they're in. Allow them to just uh, increase in, in uh, profits so that, Lord, they would be able to be paid well. And we pray, Father, for those family members that are outside of your will, maybe struggling with sickness, maybe struggling with their walk with you. Lord, we come before you and we lift them up. Hear the prayers, Lord. Minister to them right now. Break their hearts towards you and bring them home. If they're prodigals, bring them home. If they've never known you, Lord, we pray, God, that you'd save them.
Do that which you need to do to convince them of their sin, of righteousness, the judgment to come. Holy Spirit, work. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. All right. Hmm. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Psalms. Psalms 22. To be exact, Psalms 22. And um, in the Gospel of John, it is recorded that Jesus Christ said, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verses 11 and also verse 14. I am the good shepherd. Peter called Jesus the chief shepherd. In First Peter chapter 5, verse 4. But he also said in chapter 2, verse 25, that Jesus was the bishop, and or I should say the shepherd and bishop of our souls. The book of Hebrews calls our Lord the great shepherd. In chapter 13, verse 20. The great shepherd of our of the sheep, Jesus said that he was he saw people as sheep without a shepherd. You remember that? And he had compassion on them. Isaiah tells us that he shall feed his flock like a shepherd, and he shall gather the lambs, the young ones. In or with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. In Isaiah chapter 40 verse 11. The children of Israel, the children of Abraham, the people of Israel, knew that their Messiah, that is, they knew their Messiah would be a shepherd. Not of sheep, but of people. Throughout their history, their shepherds, their leaders, their, that, and that's what a shepherd is, he's a leader of the people of God, were, well, they were far from being good shepherds, great shepherds. They were far from it. Matter of fact, they were far from carrying the people in their arms. They were far from caring for the sheep, God's people. Matter of fact, the shepherds of Israel only cared for themselves and ripped the people off and led them away from the truth into sin. The reason is because they were evil, wicked shepherds. Ezekiel 34 tells us all about them. He, there Ezekiel is told to prophesy against the false shepherds, the wicked shepherds of Israel, and, and God has Ezekiel deliver a word of rebuke to these evil shepherds, these faultless, or excuse me, these faithless shepherds of Israel. And announced that there was going to come a faithful shepherd to Israel, which refers to the 
coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, in Psalms 22, in Psalms 23, in Psalms 24, they're all messianic psalms. And they speak of, of the Lord as, as, as a suffering shepherd. That is, a good shepherd suffering for his flock, giving his life for the sheep. That's in Psalms 22. That's what Psalms 22 is all about. The, the, the good shepherd giving his life for his sheep. In Psalms 23, it's talking about the great shepherd that, that cares for his sheep. He, he leads us in paths of uh, green pastures. He makes us lay down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He cares for our, our souls. He restores our soul. He anoints our head with oil. He cares. He's a shepherd that cares for his flock. And in, as the chief shepherd, as the scriptures talk about him being the chief shepherd, in Psalms 24, he is returning in glory and he has a reward for his sheep, for their service. And so we see in that, that those three, three Psalms here, a, 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 our shepherd, the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, his ministry towards all of us. Well, the Psalms, this Psalm, Psalms 22, is a Psalm of David, who was a shepherd also. You remember, he was keeping his watch over his father's flocks when he was called to be king of Israel. That little shepherd king from Bethlehem of Judea. And Psalms 22 tells us that this Psalm is a, a, a chief... Uh, um, it really, it's a to the chief musician, and upon and and basically this word is it's. I wish it was just Bob, but 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 it's not. The title of the psalm, and 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 basically it means the dew of the morning, the dew of the morning, or the help at break daybreak, the help at daybreak. Now, what that exactly means, we're not really told. We we. We kind of have some ideas of what it means, but but really none of them really get a hold of us and, and do us any good. But though David wrote this, this psalm, it's hard to find a time in David's life that he was actually suffering this way. When you begin to see, when he begins to cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You think, well, wait a minute. David said in the Psalms also that he was once young, but now he's old. And he says, I've never been forsaken by the Lord. And I've, and I've never gone begging for bread. So here we see that David is writing about something and we... We think that he's going through some kind of suffering, but but really when we go through Samuel and through the Chronicles, we don't see him suffering in any way that is described here in this psalm. According to the records and scriptures and even in David's own words, the Lord had never forsaken him and, and he cried out as and he's crying out here in this psalm as though God has forsaken him. Why? Why? Well, the reason is because 
According to Acts chapter 2, verse 30, David was a prophet. David was a prophet, and he spoke and he wrote as a prophet. For this psalm isn't about needing help for a friend. It's not some cry for deliverance that David many times prayed for. But it is an intense suffering described here in this psalm of a criminal being executed. And when you begin to look at this psalm, you begin to realize that this is an execution that's happening. This psalm is about the son of David who would come and die on a cross and on the third day rise again. This is a psalm about Jesus Christ. This psalm, it's quoted some seven different times in the New Testament. And every time that it's quoted, it is referring to Jesus Christ. It never refers to David. It never refers to anything else. It's just, they pull out portions of this psalm, and it's always referring to Jesus Christ. And so this psalm is, is a prophecy of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is so amazing is that David spoke of the death by crucifixion as though he saw what it was like. That's amazing. Because he speaks as though he was personally acquainted with, with the method of crucifixion. He speaks in the first person. I, I, I literally, he is, as he is speaking here, you think, my gosh, he knows what it's like to be crucified. He, he, he's seen it before. But crucifixion wasn't even around at that time of David's writing. It wouldn't be for another 400 years before crucifixion would come onto the scene. 400 years. That's longer than our history in the United States. And, 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 and here we see that crucifixion wasn't even invented. It wasn't, didn't even come around until the Assyrians came around. But then, it wouldn't even be used as a, a means of execution until 900 years later. When finally Jesus was, was on the scene... Crucifixion was invented or, or perfected, I should say, by the Romans. They would, they would perfect it. It was handed to, it was invented by the Assyrians. And then it was given to the, to the, to the Babylonians. And they tinkered with it a little bit. And then all of a sudden the, the Medes and the Persians got a hold of it. And you read about the story of, of, uh, <clears throat> Of Esther and Haman building the, building the gallows. And it says that they hung him on his gallow. Well, it's crucifixion. And the way that they used to crucify somebody was that they would take a, 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 a post and they would hone it down to a very fine point. Like a, almost like a pencil. And then they would take you and lift you up by the, your legs. And then they would drive you down, impelling you upon the post. And you were crucified. But that was a very quick way of dying. But then the Romans came around. And they said, well, this is pretty good. But 
It's too merciful. We can't let somebody just die like that real quick. We've got to make them suffer a little bit. And so they perfected crucifixion. Where a man could hang on a cross for days, literally. And suffer and suffer and suffer. Until they came and decided, well, let's put him out of his ministry and break his legs. And here we see that, that, that the Romans perfected it. Now, in the Jewish world, their means of execution, their means of, of carrying out the death penalty was by what? Stoning, right? They would throw rocks at you. They would throw you off of a cliff. When you're down there and you're, you're, you're laying down there, then they would just pulverize you with big old stones and kill you. But see, the Romans took that away from the Jews in 30 A.D. They removed their right to crucify or, or to execute people by stoning. And so they had to come to the Romans for their executions. Jesus died in 32 A.D. And so, this is another proof of the inspiration of the scriptures. And Psalms 22 brings us to the cross of Christ and his resurrection. That's what Psalms 22 does. Now listen, having a, a, an understanding of the Messiah's suffering, having an understanding of, of the Christ and his suffering and, and, and his glory is, is basic to grasping the message of the Bible. You must grab a hold of that. In, in, in Luke chapter 24, you remember the, the men that were on the road to Emmaus. Uh, Cleophas and his partner. They were walking on that day that the, that the women had told them that, that, that Messiah was was resurrected, that the grave was empty, and, 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 and they even said that they had seen him, and Cleophas and, and his partner was on their way about six miles, seven miles outside of Jerusalem, heading for their hometown, and, and they were talking about all these things, and you remember Jesus came and talked to them and said, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they said, well, where you been? And he says, we're talking about Jesus, a man proved of God. Uh, we hope that he was the consolation of, the, of, of Israel. But our leaders took him and crucified him. And he's been buried now for three days. But our women have said that, that somebody's he's, he's not in the tomb. And, and we sent a couple of people there to find out, Peter and John. And, and, it, and it was so. And we're just puzzled by it. And you remember what Jesus said? Oh, you foolish of heart. Don't you realize that it must be that the Messiah must suffer through Moses and the Psalms and the prophets? Jesus took them through the scriptures and showed them that Jesus was to suffer for our sins. Messiah was to suffer for our sins. That's basic. We need to grab a hold of that. 
And so here we see this math in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 and 27. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, Peter says the same thing. So here in Psalms 22, it's divided in two parts, the psalm is. The first part is dealing with the death of Christ on the cross, verses 1 through 21. That's how it's broken up. And, 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 and it's the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, his prayers, his cries from the cross. And then in, in the second part is the announcement of his resurrection in, in verses 22 through 31. And, and, and it's just an expression of praise to the glory of God because he's been resurrected. And so that's how this psalm is, is, is broken up. In this psalm, you're going to find out, you're going to find out what God will not do. And that is, he won't forsake you. But you will also notice what has been called, what I, I've found to be called the devil's zoo. The devil's zoo. You find here in some of the scriptures here, like in verses 12, the strong bulls of Bashan. You find bulls there. You find oxen. You find dogs. You find lions. It's a zoo. Wicked zoo, though. And all the, 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 the things, that all the while, Jesus, as, as it says here in verse 6, he's just a worm and no man. And the imagery there, as we'll get through it tonight together, the cross of Christ was a, was a mysterious transaction, which the Father, as with a transaction between the Father and the Son, as Jesus hung on that cross, dying for the sins of the whole world. It, it, it's 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 an amazing thing. It in first first John in chapter two, it says this in 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 chapter two. Let me flip over there very quickly. Um, in verse two, it says um, that he was the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There was a transaction taking place, a propitiation being made for us, an appeasement for a penalty that was or could not be paid by us. And in verse chapter 4 of 1 John, it says also in verse 14, that, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. He was sent to be the Savior of the world, and, and, and that He was to be the propitiation. This is the trans, transaction that was going on between the Father and the Son on the cross. It was on the cross that Jesus was made sin for us. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says. And he was made a curse for us, for everyone that hangs on a tree is cursed, it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. In some inexplicable way, Jesus experienced what Condemned, lost sinners experience 
away from the presence of God. When he, when, when, when he was hanging on that cross and when he realized that his father turned from him and he cried out, my God, my God. All of a sudden he began to experience the things that a lost sinner experiences when he goes into eternity without Christ. So as this book of Psalms, or as the psalm begins, it drops us right into the 12 o'clock hour. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. Nine o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon. And he... and and. We're dropped right here in the middle of the, of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Right at the 12 o'clock hour at, in Psalms 22. It is at 12 o'clock that he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Or, Elo, Elo, Lama Sabbathani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at this point that the earth at noontime became night, literally like night. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, Mark chapter 15, verse 33, Luke chapter 23, verses 44 and 45, tells us that, that at the noon hour, the earth became dark. There was an earthquakes. There was the sun refused to shine. And matter of fact, in Amos chapter 8, verse 9, there's a prophecy in Amos that God says, at noontime, I will turn it dark like the night. It was at noon that Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so how, how in Psalms 22 verses 1 through, through 21, as we're brought right now into the cross, right, in, 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 right at the middle of the crucifixion, we see three things happen in this psalm. In verses 1 through 21, we see one, that he's abandoned by God. And number two, that he was despised by the people. And number three, he was condemned by the law. In verses 12 through 21. Verses five, 1 through 5, he was abandoned by the Lord, by the, by the Father. He was, he was despised by the people, verses 6 through 11. And that in verses 12 through 21, he was condemned by the law. And lastly, in verses 22 through 31... We see the praise of victory as, as, as he begins to announce the resurrection. This great assembly that's, that there, that, that's right there before God and, and, and he's rejoicing in this glorious kingdom in verses 26 through 29. So let's quickly move through this psalm and, and, and get, a, get a grasp over it. So here it says in verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy. O thou who inhabits the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou did deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and 
They were not confounded. But I'm a worm and no man. Here we were dropped, as I said, right in front of the cross. Jesus has been betrayed by a kiss, arrested by the counsel of the high priest, tried at night three separate times, mocked, spit upon, beaten, denied by Peter, then turned over early that morning to the Romans, where he was tried by Pilate and then by Herod, Antipas, and then then back to Pilate, where he's mocked and beaten some more, whipped the cat of nine tails, and then sent out to be crucified. There he is, stripped of all his clothes, nailed to the tree and mocked by, by Israel's religious leaders and passers-by. All the while, like a lamb, before his shears, he spoke not a word until he was upon the cross at 9 a.m. And his first words out of his mouth was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They hung a sign over his head. This is Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. Everybody was mocking him, shaking their heads at him, accusing him. You saved others. Why don't you save yourself? And they said all kinds of things. Why don't you come down? Save yourself. And even the guys that were hanging on the left and the right side of him entered into the mocking Until one of them decided, wait a minute, I'm dying. And he's a king. And all of a sudden he leaned over towards Jesus and said, when you come into your kingdom, Lord, will you please remember me? And Jesus spoke his second word. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. A little while longer, as he hung on the cross. And when you hang on a cross, we often see Hollywood's rendition of the cross, of where he's, you know, six feet above you on this humongous cross, and he's, he's towering over you. And, and that's not how the Romans would crucify a man. The Romans, when they would crucify you, would just lift you up off the ground just a little bit where you just couldn't touch the ground. But they would lift you up and you were literally eye level to those people around you. And they would take you and impale you on, on the cross, put, your, put the nails through these, these two bones right here. So your hands, if you did it right here, your hands would just slip out from the violent shaking that you would be convulsing on, on the cross. but So they would put, put right here in the hand. This was all part of the hand as far as in Judaism and, and, and was concerned. And they would drive the spike through here to hold you in place. 
And as they do that, they would take your left and right leg and they would drive spikes through your through the bones of the back of your heels. And they would impel you on the side of the cross like this. On this side. So you're now sideways instead of like we've often seen in the crucifix like this. But we know that they would be here because we've discovered remains of crucified men with their spikes through their heels. Then they would flip you over and they would bend the nails so you couldn't shake loose because as you hung on the cross, you would begin to go into shakes and convulsions, dehydration. And there, as he was hanging on the cross, he noticed his mother. And he says to this woman with a broken heart, his first words were words of forgiveness. His second word was words of acceptance. But now he speaks to a woman with a broken heart. And he gives John commission to get back to work. You see, John had fled, had left Jesus that night. But he was back at the cross. And Jesus put John back to work. He says, take care of her. And history records that he kept Mary for the rest of his life, the rest of her life. But now here at noontime, the fourth word is spoken. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The sun refused to shine just as Amos 8, 8 9 says it, it, it would happen. Matthew, Mark, Luke records what happened, but it's Matthew and Mark that who wrote down what he said why all this was happening. And they wrote down these words, Elo, Elo, Lama Sabathani, or my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here's where Psalms 22 fills in the blanks. Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. Oh my God, I cried in the daytime. Thou hast, thou it heareth not. And in the night season, it's dark now. And I'm not silent. Why? It was at noon, Jesus cried with a loud voice. And here is the words of agony. As the Father, for the very first time, listen to this, for, for the very first time in eternity, turned his back on his dying son, whom he sent into the world. The shock to Jesus becoming sin for us. It, it, it must have been, it, that was agony enough as he took upon our sins upon him on the cross. That was agony enough. But, but when, you, when, when, when it was compounded, when he saw and realized that his father was turning away from him and he was being forsaken, it probably brought a universal fear 
And all heaven, earth, and hell probably stood still. Why did God the Father turn away from his Son? For a few reasons. It tells us here in verse 3 that it's because he was holy. In the book of Habakkuk, it gives us a little insight to this phrase here. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 13, excuse me. It says that, that Habakkuk says, You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look upon iniquity. So Habakkuk gives us a clue there where he says, God, the, the reason that maybe God turned away and forsook his son was because that he became the sin bearer, the sin sacrifice, the propitiation for, for all of our sins. You see, as Jesus hung on the cross, he became sin for us. Every vile sin you and I have ever thought of or did, Jesus took upon himself. What was he doing that for? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us what he was doing. And that was he was reconciling us back to God. He was bringing us back to God. The second reason why was because, as I said, he was reconciling us back to himself, back through Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter five. I'll read it for you. It says just this. And I've got all these bookmarks here, so I've got to work through those, too. Chapter five. In 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 18, he says, He says, And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation, soul winning, bringing people to Christ, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses. Notice that he wasn't putting, he wasn't saying, okay, Roger, you're guilty. No, he was removing my sins, my trespasses unto them, and had committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, as we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we beg you in Christ's stead that you be reconciled to God. For he hath made him, listen to this, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might by, be made the righteousness of God in him. So why did he forsake him? Why did he do it? was because he was reconciling us back to God. He was bringing us to him. And, and, and so that we might be the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Paul tells us that Jesus became a curse for us when he hung on the tree, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, so that you and I, by trusting in Christ, might be redeemed, it says. And the third reason why he was forsaken, why he was turned away, that why the Father turned away from him, so that you and I would never, never be forsaken. We cannot be forsaken because the Savior was forsaken in our place. 
You see, the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, He died on my cross. He died on your cross. That, that is, that cross was yours. That, that, that execution was supposed to be you. But He took your place. He became the sin and the redemption or the the propitiation for your sins. He he took the penalty of it. And, and, and so you can't be forsaken. Why? Because of his promise. You see, God promised that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Because he he he's he, he says that he'll never leave you. That is, he'll never forsake you. And his presence is always with you. Because he said, lo, I am with you Always. Because of his presence, because of his, his, his promise, he will not forsake you. And thirdly, because of his purpose. You see, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says that he, we know this, that he's working all things together for the good, for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That is that he's working all things together for the good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Now, what for? What what is that purpose? Well, if you read the next verse, it's to conform you into the image of his dear son, Jesus Christ. You see, God's working all these things out in your life. Everything that's happening to you right now, whether it be good or bad, he's working it all together for good. The things that happened to you today, maybe how many many's had a bad day today? Anybody have a bad day? Yeah, you probably have one tomorrow. But no, but but, but uh, you, well, you might. How many's had two bad days in their life? You know, in a row. You know, I mean, we all have bad days. Okay, and you know what? The thing of it is, he takes the bad and he takes the good, and he's working them all together for the good. He's God. He's able to do that. Don't ask me to do that. I'll just make it a bigger mess for you. But you know what? When you let God do that, God works all things together for good. Why? Because he's got a purpose in your life. And the purpose is that he's making you into the image of his dear son. Beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when he shall appear, we shall be what? Like him. The psalmist says, I will be satisfied when I awake in his likeness. And so here we see that 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 the purpose and 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 so now not one of you not one of us has ever been forsaken by God. Not one of us. And don't be be deceived by your feelings or your circumstances. God has not forsaken you. He's been there with you the whole time. Oh, the devil might whisper in your ear, he's left you. No, that's not true. Because it would go against his word. So in verse 1 through 6, we have noticed that he's been abandoned by God. It says here in Psalms 22. And, uh, and so he says he's been abandoned by God. But now here in verse, verse 6 through 11, we see how he was despised. 
We see how he was despised. He says, I was a worm and no man. No man, a, a reproach of men despised by the people. All they who see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lips. They shake their heads saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing his delighted in, in him. But thou art he who took me out of the womb. Thou didn't make me hope upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from, from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's body. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. I mean, he lays this out and he says, look at how I've been despised. In verse 6 and 7, Jesus said, I, I'm a worm and, and I'm no man. I'm a reproach of men. The word reproach means to be shamed or disgraced or abused. The word despised means uh, he was despised by the people. The word despised means I'm disdained. I, I, it's a, I'm abhorred by these people. I, I'm, it means to be, I, I, they have a low opinion of me. And those that look at me, they laugh me to scorn. The word laugh means to be mocked and to be ridiculed. To be scorned is to be thought of unworthily. To be neglected. And this is what Jesus was saying that they were doing to him as he was hanging on the cross. And that's exactly what they said. It was verbatim as they were standing there saying, oh, if you trusted in God, why don't you, why, you know, you, why don't you see if he'll deliver you? Is not this exactly what happened to Jesus? Isn't it what they did to him while he was nailed to the cross? Matthew chapter 27, verses 39, and Mark chapter 15, verse 29, Luke chapter 23, verse 35, and forward in all, one, all those things, tells you exactly what they were saying and doing. The people, they despised him, they rejected him. Matter of fact, Isaiah said, prophesied that they would do that. He was despised and rejected of man. Although a man of sorrow... He bored our grief. And for our stripes and our transgressions and our iniquities and our peace, he was ruthlessly dealt with. John's gospel in chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 says that, that he was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. But he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and he was received not by them. The prophet Isaiah said of him, he would be despised, he would be rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And he and we, that is that you and me, hid our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And so here in verses 12, through 21, he says, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me. Now we're going to go to the zoo. He says, he's beset me around. They, they gaped upon me with their mouths like, like a raving and roaring lion. 
They're ripping me to shreds, he says, and I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like like a pot shear and my tongue cleaves to my mouth, my jaw. And and thou has brought me into the dust of death for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may count all my bones. They look and they stare upon me. They part my garment among them and they cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee not to to help me. Haste thee to help me, excuse me. Deliver my soul from the swords, my only one, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. For thou hast heard me from, from the horns of the wild oxen. You've, you've, and here he is, as I called it, the devil's zoo. I mean, we have the bulls of Bashan. Bashan was known as the Golden Heights. That's what the Golden Heights is, the, the, is the area of Bashan in the scriptures. You, you've, you, you've, you have the raving and roaring lion, mouth of the lions ripping on him, verse 13. You have the dogs that have surrounded him in verse 16. And lastly, you have the horns of the, the wild oxen in verse 21. And Jesus, he's a worm and no man. Can you see the imagery? A bull, a lion, a wild oxen, dogs chasing a worm. Going after a worm. He he would not fight. He could have called 12 legions of angels to put a stop to all of it. But God commended his love towards you. That in while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. This is why we celebrate the Lord's table here at Calvary Chapel. That we take of the Lord's Supper because we remember this, his death, till he comes. In verses 12 through 21, it speaks of the cruelty of those around him as as our Savior is dying. The sneering mob, the the wicked watchers, as as we're told of of the of this this unbelievable perspiration of the of him just being poured out as he says, "I'm poured out like water," as he hangs on the cross, caused by the intense pain of being crucified. In verse 14. The suspension from the cross causing his joints and his, uh, of his arms and his shoulders and his hips to be dislocated in, in verses 14 as well. He says, all my joint uh, bones are out of joint. My heart is like wet. the extreme, the, the pounding of his heart as he, as, as he worked to pump the blood to his body. As, 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 as you were crucified on a cross, as your weight and, and the weight of your body, you're, you're be just beginning to dislocate in, in your joints. But you're needing air. 
And the way that you die on the cross was through suffocation. And so you would push yourself up, even though you had those nails driven through your heels, you would push yourself up and, and try to just expand your chest enough to get some air in your lungs so that you can go for a few more moments. The drive to live. And as his heart was overworking and pounding, the extreme exhaustion and the awful thirst of dehydration. He says, my strength is dried up like a pot shear and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. The awareness of approaching death, it says here in verse 15. He says, thou has brought me into the dust of death. Jesus knew he was dying. He knew he was going to die. He, he knew it was getting closer and closer and closer. The Son of God, who, ne- who was life in himself, was actually dying. In verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. They nailed me to the cross. The indignity of, the cru- of a crucified man, as he would hang there... Nude, with complete loss of control of his bowels on a cross. And believe me, you would. Lose all control of bodily functions. The people, it says in verse 17, just stared at him. No dignity. They just stared at him. Mocking. Then in the midst of all this, the Roman soldiers sat at his feet to play games to see who would win his seamless robe. They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That's exactly what they did. But then, his final cry, as he surrendered himself to his father, In verses 19 through 20, 21. As he cried out, after he's cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He cries out and he says, I thirst. Which was his fifth word. And then his sixth word, it is finished. And then his last word, his final cry. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And here we see that that in verse 19 he says, But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only one. My darling is, is what this word is. The only one is my darling. For the power of the dog. We know who the dog is. Save me from the lion's mouth. We know who the lion is too. For thou hast heard me from the horns of the oxen. You've heard my prayer. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And it says in John that he dismissed his spirit and bowed his head. Satan, the dog and the lion took hold of him. 
But he knew he was only going to be delivered in three days. For God would not allow his Holy One to see corruption. And so he was delivered. In verse 22, through the rest of the chapter, you see just a a, a praise, an answer. He says here, he says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. The Bible says that when Jesus died, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. And there he led the captives from their captivity. Ephesians chapter 2 and 1 Peter also tells us that he did this. That he went into the lower parts of the earth and he declared his name unto his brethren in the midst of the congregation. Will I praise thee? Yea, he says... Ye who fear the Lord, praise him, all you, the the seed of Jacob. Glorify him and fear him, all you, the seed of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the afflicted of the afflicted, uh, the afflictions of the afflicted. Neither has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them. That fear him, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. Eternal life. Promise. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before him. Wow. For the kingdom is The Lord's and he is the governor among the nations. Oh, yeah, this is the second coming. It's coming soon. All they that are fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before and none can keep alive his own soul. Would you underline that? I was talking to a guy today. I I walk in the morning and, and there's a guy that sees me every day. He's about 80 years old. And he rides his bike by, and he, you know, he, 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 he waves to me. And over the last year, I've got to know him. His name's Ted. If you'll pray for him, today he was telling me a little bit about his life, and he was, uh, he said, uh, he says, you know, he says, I just found out that I'm just realizing how short life is. He says, and I realize I'm at the end of it. And I says. Ted, we need to sit down and talk. I said, we need to go and get a cup of coffee and go and talk. He says, yeah, that would be a nice thing to do. You know, and, and I said, well, you know what? I'll see you in the morning. I said, let's, let's talk. And, um, and let's set up a time where we can go talk. He doesn't know that I'm a pastor. He doesn't even know that I'm a Christian yet, but I'll pay the bill. But... Uh, I'll, I'll buy his cup of coffee, but I'm, I'm just praying for him. I know his wife's a Christian because he talks about her going to church all the time. Oh, she's always going to church, always going to church. So, you know, he's a knucklehead, you know. And, and, uh, and so, you know, we got we to gotta, just reach this guy. My wife says, you, man, God's got you on that path just to talk to him, you know. And... Um, and I said, not just him, but there's a lot of other guys that I've been talking to. Sometimes, you know, I, I go out and walk and people just stop and start talking to me. And um, and I really don't want to be bothered. 
you know. I want to get my walk done, you know. And But God's saying, you know what, I'm just having them come to you, you know. And you're out here on the highways and byways, and so here they are. And I'm saying, Lord, I, I want to keep walking. I, I, You know, I don't want to walk a little bit and stop and talk for 10, 15 minutes and then get going again. Because about that time, I'm cooled off and I want to go home, you know. It's a couple of times I've called my son, hey, come and pick me up, you know. And, and he, he's, no, I'm doing something, you know. Walk home, you, you do it, you know. And I says, you dog. But, 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 uh, but you know, and, and, but yet, pray for him, please. I'm, I'm wanting to see this guy saved and see several other guys and, and all that. But here he, he says, he says, all they that, and none can keep his, his own soul alive. That's so true. Now notice something here. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation and they shall come. So a seed's going to be planted. A seed is going to serve him. Somebody, Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and, and Andrew and, and those are seeds that, that started to started to serve him and it was accounted to the Lord for a generation went on for that first church, book of Acts is all about that and then notice it jumps ahead and it says and they shall come and should declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born People that haven't been born yet are going to hear about this. That he has done this. Notice what it says here. That he has done this. Who? The Messiah. Jesus Christ. The gospel is going to be preached. And and guess what? We're doing that tonight, aren't we? We're talking about it. That Jesus Christ did all this. He hung on a cross for us. He rose from the dead. He declared victory to his brethren in the congregation. And he sits at the right hand of the Father right now. And he's, he's there. And, 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 and he started off with a seed just going forth. And, 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 and they served him. And it was accounted unto the Lord for a generation. But then all of a sudden a new group started coming. People. Who heard the gospel, the righteousness of God, unto a people that was born, that he's done this. The Lord's done this. Amen. Isn't that great? I love that. And and, and that's exactly what he's done. Now, what has he done? He's forgiven us of our sins, right? And this is, I mean, think about this, guys. He's forgiven us of our sins. He breaks out in praise. You know, praise is contagious. You know, we're talking about Ebola, but, you know, and it's how contagious it is. But praise is contagious. If people would just begin to praise him, others will begin to do the same thing. And so what happens, what happens, and this is where I close tonight. What happens when you confess your sins and take Jesus as your Savior? What, What happens to your sins? Well, and John... The Gospel of John, in chapter 1, verse 29, it says that God takes your sins from you. He just takes them from you. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, he forgets them. Isn't that great? He forgets your sins. You know, was, uh, there are so many times when I say, oh, God, I'm so sorry I did that. When? Well, you remember last week, I forgave you of that. I took them from you. And then he takes them and he forgets them. But notice what else it says here in, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. He washes them away. He says, he says Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. He washes them away. He says there in, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Not only that, but he blots out our sins, that he blots them out. Isaiah 43, verse 25. And in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22, he wipes them out like a cloud. I like that one. He wipes them out like a cloud. And matter of fact, it says that he takes your sins that are written against you in Isaiah and it's like, like, oh, oh my gosh. This is what Roger's done? And he looks at that and it, he says this, that he takes it and he throws them over his shoulder. He's taken that, he's done that with your sins. Now when he tosses it, it says in Psalms 103 that he takes them and he throws them as far as the east is from the west. Now, that's pretty far. You know, we can find the North Pole and we can find the South Pole, can't we? I mean, I can go to the North Pole. And I can stand there, plant a flag and say, here, I, I've reached the North Pole uh, and the South Pole. But you know what? I can't reach the East Pole or the North Pole because there no, there's nothing there. Everywhere I go, if I go East, I can still go East. If I go, if I go West, I can still go West. And I just keep going and going and going. And God takes our sins and he throws them as far as the east, as far as from the west. But if he threw them from the north and the, and the south, we could be able to find them. And I think a lot of people try to. But no. He throws them over his shoulder as far as the east, as far as from the west. Now, now in Isaiah 55 or 7, he says he pardons them. He pardons them. And in Micah chapter 7, verse 19, it says that he buries in the depths of the sea. In the depths of the sea. He doesn't bury your sins on the shoreline. Okay? He buries him in the depths of the sea on the ocean floor. Audio Adrenaline has a, has a song called Ocean Floor. I mean, that's great. And, and, and it's a song about how he's taken our sins and they're on the bottom. And if you can get a hold of that in your mind, that they're at the bottom of the ocean. You know, there's, there's the, the bottom of the ocean. Has, there's places that are so deep, we just don't know how deep it is. And God says he's, thrown your, he's buried your sins in the depth of the ocean. And lastly, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says he forgives them. Because if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead by God, raising him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
But in 1 John, it says that if you confess your sins, he's faithful faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Forgives. You know what real forgiveness is? It's forgiving somebody and never bringing it back up. And when you really forgive somebody, you just don't bring it back up. And that's what God's done with you. He just doesn't bring it back up. Now, you might. I might. I mean, and you know, the gossipers and the slanderers, they'll bring it up. But you know what? God will never bring it up. He'll never bring it up to you. True forgiveness is forgiving, forgetting. I mean, he takes them away. He forgets them. He washes them. He blots them out. He wipes them out like a cloud. He pardons them. He throws them as far as the east is from the west. He throws them over his shoulder. He buries them in the depths of the sea. And he forgives. That's what he's done with your sins. And when he was on the cross, he did it for you. So, Lord, we come before you and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your grace. We ask, God, that you would bless as we look into your word, Lord. Speak to us more about Jesus. May we just be able to grab a hold of him more and more this week. May we find ourselves just rejoicing in that he died for our sins, but also that he rose from the dead. And we thank you. I love you, I love you, I love you. The rose of Sharon to me. I love you, I love you, I love you. And someday your face I shall see. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.